Guys, I'm Chris. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. Um, but thank you for being here tonight. School's coming to an end, and with school coming to an end, I know, exciting, right? But you guys could be doing a number of other things tonight, like studying for finals, finishing up class projects, whatever it may be, but you guys chose to be here, and so it means a lot to us. But I hope as we wrap up this series of Ask Anything, that you guys have taken away some truths. I hope this has been enjoyable for you guys. I hope that there's been answers to the questions you guys have been having about faith, about who God is, about our, the, our, our staff and these volunteers. I hope this has been fun. With that being said, tonight we have three questions that we're going to wrap everything up with. And if your questions didn't get answered, know that it wasn't because we didn't want to answer them. It was just because we didn't have time to really get to them. So we're going to work on doing that. Um, in some way or another, but just know that this has been a blast for us to be able to dig in and help answer questions that you guys have about God himself. Let me set our three questions tonight are going to lead us down a, a path into Genesis, which is kind of where we were picking up on from where we were two weeks ago. And so to kick us off, I want you to watch this clip, and then we'll dive on in. <laughs> I love that scene for so many reasons. But I, I wanted to show you that and to start with that tonight is because it's going to address one of our questions that we're going to lead into. But before we get into that, uh, I'll open us in prayer and then tell you how that connects to our medulla oblongatum, all right? So God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for the school year coming to an end. God, thank you for just the way that you continue to, to be at work in our lives. God, I pray that this evening that you'll allow us to focus, you'll allow us to stay in tune with, with what you have for us. Um, and God, just continue to draw us closer to yourself. God, we love you and we give you this night. Amen. All right. So Waterboy, what does Waterboy have to do with any of the questions that you guys have asked? Well, it starts with number one. It says, why is there always conflict? And so I hope that conflict doesn't take place the way that we saw it in the video in your own life. I hope that you guys aren't tackling teachers, aren't tackling friends. But the point of this is, is that within two minutes, we saw Adam Sandler go from being a happy student in class to literally tackling, like, tackling his teacher. And so within two minutes, conflict arose. So conflict isn't something that, that is hard for any of us to experience. I don't have to convince you that there's conflict in the world. You guys see it. Y'all live it every single day. You turn on the news. You see conflict happening all over the world, whether it be wars or people groups or racism or whatever it may be, there is conflict. We see it in our own cities. We saw a mass shooting take place unfortunately happened in our own backyard this earlier this week. There's conflict. We see relationships here and there. There's a number of things that take place in our own lives where conflict is a reality that we cannot avoid. And so why is there always conflict, right? That's the question. I think it's a great question. But to put it simply, there's conflict because people are involved. And people are a mess. And so I hate to break it to you and to burst your bubble, but you and I are a mess. Our mess is our sin. And so there's conflict in our life because of the sin in our life due to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And so when we looked at the garden two weeks ago and we looked at where sin entered the world for the very first time, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they went hiding. They're covered in shame. This is the first conflict that we see in history, the first conflict in creation. And so within this conflict, sin has been a part of our world ever since. And so mankind is now murderous, lustful, prideful, arrogant, greedy. I mean, you name it, the list could continue on and on. But I want you to know that conflict doesn't always have to be a bad thing. And this is where you and I, like, we typically think of conflict in negative connotations. We think of conflict being something that, I mean, I'm out to prove something, I'm out to make myself right, I'm out to tear that person down because 
I'm right, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you're in conflict trying to do something about yourself. But conflict does not always have to be a bad thing. And, and even in the midst of the pain and the suffering that conflict may bring, and we're going to address that in a little bit, there can still be a beauty in conflict. Due to conflict being inevitable, there can be beauty in conflict because conflict allows there to be an opportunity for grace. I want to repeat that because I think this is a key point, that, that conflict allows for an opportunity for grace. So I want you to think back. I want you to think of some examples in Scripture where you know people dealt with conflict. What do you have? Anyone thinking of anything that, anyone have conflict in Scripture? Okay, well, I'll give you a few. When I was thinking about this, we had Moses. Moses had conflict with Pharaoh. We had Joseph. Joseph had conflict with, with, um, with, the, with the wife. Um, we have Daniel has conflict with the high courts who threw him in the lion's den. We have the disciples. They're in conflict with the religious leaders. We have Jesus who is in conflict, who took on the greatest conflict of all, which is separation from you and I. And so I want you to know that within all of these people, they didn't flee conflict. And that's our natural tendency is that when conflict takes place, we want to avoid it. We want to flee it like a plague because conflict is hard to deal with. All right, if you're like me, conflict's like some people are better than others. But I'm one of those people that can have a tendency to say there's conflict, I'm not going to address it because that's going to make it weirder and more awkward and whatever it may be. But these people in Scripture, they addressed conflict. They stepped into conflict. And so the person I want to look at tonight is Paul to address why is there always conflict is, is that we know that it's because of sin, but it's what do we do with it is the next question. It's the most natural thing to ask next. And so as we look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers amongst false brothers. There's a lot there. And I think if there's anyone who understands conflict, it's our boy Paul. I mean, Paul has literally been through it all no rhyme intended, but like Paul has had it rough. And so it's not enough to know that there's someone else in history that has had a, a conflict one or two times or more, right? Sure, he can relate to us, but so what? We need to know why. Why, why does he take on this conflict? Why does he step into this conflict? And so he writes to another church. So he's, Paul currently is currently in prison as he's writing a letter to a church, and the church is in Philippi. And so he writes this letter to the church and says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually ha advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. So literally, Paul's in prison. He's saying a word of encouragement to this other church. Look, I've been through some tough stuff. Everything that I've gone through, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the, the, the days and nights at sea, being afraid of my own people, being afraid of false brothers, like all of that has been worth it because it's advancing the gospel. And so Paul ends the, like nearly ends the chapter with another saying and says this, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for him. Part of being a Christian is that we're going to have pain, we're going to have conflict, and we're going to have suffering. Like that's going to be inevitable, and we're going to look at that in a moment in a little bit more, but I want you to see that Paul did not avoid conflict despite that being our tendency, despite like the natural tendency to be to not address it, Paul steps into it for the advancement of the gospel. 
And it's also important as we deal with conflict, Paul's mentoring a guy. He's got a guy that he's good friends with named Timothy. And so he's writing another letter to him, and it comes from 2 Timothy, and it says this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with goodness. So as I think about conflicts, I want to think about my own tendency. I'm like, no, I want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm right. And so I'm not kind of out to, to not only prove myself, but I'm okay to pick a fight. Like, it's just what conflict brings. This is not what Scripture tells us is, is what we're to do. Paul addresses and says, as a Christian, you need, to, you need to not be in it to quarrel. You need to be kind to everyone. Because it's not about you at the end of the day. It's about the advancement of the gospel. And so depend, no matter what the conflict is about, address it in kindness. Be able to teach, be willing to put yourself to humble yourself and patiently enduring evil and being willing to correct your opponents with gentleness. I think this is a major, major point when it comes to conflict. And so as we look at the question overall as we address why is there always conflict, it's easy to say, well, it's because of our sin. But I want you to remember that conflict is not something that we need to avoid or ignore. Instead, it's an opportunity for grace to triumph because it advances the gospel. And that's the, that's the main point there. So there's a lot there, but we're going to move on to question number two now. That'll kind of connect the two. So the question number two is, why does God make people die? And why does God give us pain at the wrong time? And so really, this is a two-part question. So we're going to address the first part with this. Why does God make people die? Well, I would say that God doesn't make people die. I would say that our death is a punishment of our sin. And so as we go back to the garden, we're looking back at the story of Adam and Eve, where it all began. So we know that Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, brokenness took place. Sin entered the world for the first time, and when that sin came death. And this is what the scripture has to tell us in Genesis 3. He, being the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. And so we know what happens here, right? Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, and then it's game over. Sin enters the world, and they go into hiding. But it's not that God made Adam and Eve die. Adam and Eve knew full well the consequence of their decision. Because that's what, that's what Eve responded to the serpent. No, God said that we could eat any of the, the, free, of the fruits of the trees in the garden, except for one. We can't eat it and we can't touch it or, or we will die. Yet, they chose death over unity with God. And so because of this, death entered the world for the very first time. So it leads us into part two here. Is why does God give us pain at the wrong time? Well, I would say that God doesn't give us pain. I would, that would be my way of addressing the just flat out, is that our pain that God allows is that God allows us to experience pain. It's not that God gives it to us. And there is a difference there. And so as we look at why does God give us pain at the wrong time, or why does God allow us to experience time when things are really tough, well, who is to say what is and what isn't the right and wrong time? Because if it's up to me, I mean, I would say I don't want pain. It is always the wrong time. Because pain hurts. Pain is miserable. Pain is suffering, right? No one, no one wants pain, wants to go through the pain that suffering will bring. So it is forever the wrong time for me to experience pain, for you, right? That's kind of our natural tendency. 
So I think there are two types of responses that we often get when it comes to experiencing pain and suffering. I think one, we can say, if God is a really good God, then it's his job to keep me happy, comfortable, and pain-free. If God really loved me, he wouldn't want me to go through this. If God really loved me, he wouldn't have me suffer the way I'm suffering. And there's a second opinion, or second type of response that we can often give. Is that we believe that God has a purpose for mankind that's to bring him or bring people to know and love him. And so despite the pain, despite the suffering that we're in, we're willing to acknowledge that there's a creator who loves us, who cares for us, and to say, God, I'm hurting right now. I don't know how long this season of pain is going to last, but I know you're going to do something with it. You're going to draw me closer to yourself. You're going to make yourself known in the midst of my pain, regardless of how long it lasts. And so those are the two types of responses that we get that doesn't answer why we suffer, why we still experience pain. Well, I want you to know it's because Jesus experienced pain. And so what Hebrews tells us is, therefore he, Jesus, had to make like his brothers in every aspect, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, which means atonement, to make right for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So in the midst of your pain, no matter how severe or extreme it may be, God gets it. God knows it. God's there to help, especially in times where you're being tempted. There's always a way out. So we see in Romans, Paul says, through him being Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And this is our rock. This is what we need to cling to. Because as suffering comes, as pain comes, even in the hardest of times where it feels like your world is crumbling, you can know that God's got, God's got you. God has your back. God has a plan for you. And your suffering is for you to rejoice in, even though that's a weird type of wording. You're rejoicing your suffering because it's going to give you endurance. It's going to give you character. It's going to give you a stronger hope in who God is and why he cares so much about you is because he took on the pain on the cross. So all the pain that you feel like you're suffering under, and God already knows it. God took it on. He bore it and so much more so that we wouldn't have to feel alone in that and so we can trust in who he is that much more. So my encouragement to you is in times of pain and suffering, don't get angry at God. But here's the reality. I know for some of you guys, I mean, high school is brutal in seasons. College is brutal in seasons. Life is brutal in seasons. And so no matter what season you're in, some of you may allow your pain and your suffering for you, to, for you to abandon your faith in Christ. My prayer that that's not the case, that's the last thing I want for anyone in this room tonight is for you to abandon what God has done for you, the belief in who God is. But I know for some, you're going to fall into that false ideology, false dichotomy of who God is. But the opposite is also true. Some of you in this room tonight will then turn to God in those moments of pain. And you're going to say, God, I am suffering severely, and I need you more than ever. And through that pain, he's going to do a work. And you may not know what that work is, and it's not that when you come to that point in time where you're saying, God, I'm giving it to you, that your pain is just going to miraculously go. It may, but it may not. It may last for the rest of your life. But in that, you need to understand and hold on to what we read in Romans, that your suffering gives you endurance. Your suffering gives you hope. Your suffering gives you a character to understand who God is and why he loves you the way he does. And so that's what it comes down to with 
suffering and pain. C.S. Lewis wrote that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think that's so powerful because we're hurting. We're looking for an answer, right? We're looking for healing, and we're looking for someone to take that pain. And so when someone, whether they're a Christian or not, when someone turns to look for truth in the midst of their pain, they're going to find Christ as their absolute truth. And in finding Christ, they're going to find grace, they're going to find redemption, and they're going to find love. It doesn't always make it the pain feel any less, but you have a hope to hold on to that'll never change. And so that's what it comes down to when we look at death. Does God make us die? No. No, our sin makes us die. Our sin separates us from Christ. Does God give us pain in all the wrong times? No, God allows us to experience that pain so that we can come and know him that much more. So this is our third question, and I think this is going to be one that we wrap up with. And I want want everyone focused in because this is a little bit controversial. This is one that I know I have a lot of different people in the room tonight that come from public schools, private schools, Christian schools. And so you guys are taught different things when it comes to creation, how the earth was formed. And so the question that was asked is, is it possible to believe in creation and evolution, and where is the line drawn? I think it's it's a great, great question, and we're only going to be able to skim the, the surface of it. But here's the line. I mean, the line is scripture, because the word is truth. And so it starts the very beginning of the cover. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God, God created the heavens and the earth. The origin of creation began with God. And so creating, creation was a mighty act of a triune God, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we see in Psalms 33 that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So once again, we see that God spoke the earth into creation. Hebrews 11.3 tells us that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So once again, God, being the creator of the universe, spoke the earth into being. And this is what the church believes. This is what the church backs, because we believe wholeheartedly in the word of God. That scripture is the inspired word of God, and it is true from cover to cover. And so we believe that God created the light, the water, the air, the soil, the vegetation, all animals in the sea and on land. And ultimately, we believe that man was created by God for for his glory and in his image. This is not what evolution tells us. I know you guys know that. But rather than accepting the randomness that there was a big boom, there a big bang, there's an atomic boom, atomic theory, that out of nothing came something, that something evolved over millions and billions of years so that we live in the earth that we do today. Instead of accepting that randomness that you are just a bunch of chemicals and nothing more that, you, that life is meaningless, Scripture tells us that you have a creator. You have an origin. You have a purpose. You have a designer. And within that, in the 19th century, that, that argument or that belief began questions began being questioned. And it began questioned by, in 1859 when Charles Darwin published The Origin of Species. And I know you guys are familiar with this. But the, what The Origin of Species did is it created an all-encompassing worldview that denied creation. It denied the development of living and non-living things. And it denied the special creation of mankind being made in God's image. So the evolutionary worldview now is what dominates our culture. 
It dominates our society. It dominates the Western world. And so it's only natural that you are beginning to question, hey, I'm learning one thing in school and I'm learning another thing at church, so what on earth is real, right? What, do I, what is truth? And so what the reality is that we have creationists. We have people who believe the Bible for its word, that there is a God, the creator, who created the earth and all things in it. And that mankind was created for a purpose. And we weren't an accident. We weren't just chemicals. We have evolutionists who believe that they deny the written word of God. And they believe that earth was a, as, a, as a chance, as a happening, something of nothing. And then we have a theistic evolutionist who believe that there is a God, there is a creator, who created the earth by orchestrating evolution to be the mechanics in which the earth formed, the earth that we live in, the earth that we have today. But I want you to know, as you may think, like, oh, that makes sense. Now that I can align what I learned in school with what I learned in the scripture, is this, is that even the theistic evolutionist perspective is in contradiction with scripture. And they're in contradiction with scripture because it denies the creation account of what God did in the immediacy of, it, of what he created. They deny the biblical account of the fall. They deny the evolutionary, they deny the creation of Adam and Eve being created in God's image. Because they say, if, if evolution is the way that earth is formed, then mankind evolved over millions and millions of years, then how do you take scripture's point where God said, on the sixth day he created man? As he created man, it is good. And then of man, he, God created woman, right? And then he tasked Adam and Eve to then procreate, to fill the earth and subdue it, which means to create mankind to fill the space. He didn't task Adam and Eve with managing all of living creation so that they could evolve to fill the earth. And so we're just touching the surface here, but if we don't believe the biblical account of creation and we think that's false, then your entire understanding of Scripture will be false. Because cover to cover, this book is true. And so I want you to know, when it comes to science, as we talk about science and creation and evolution, I want everyone to know this, and as I'm a huge science nerd myself, and I geek out over this stuff. I want you to know that science will never disprove anything written in Scripture. It never has and never will. But Scripture will continue and has and will continue to disprove what is taught in modern-day science. For thousands of years, people have tried to discredit the scripture with scientific methodologies and whatnot, and they have come up with nothing. They've come up with theories, but there is nothing that has disproven the word of God. And so in their research, in their, in their focus, area of focus, what they're left with is questioning their own theology, questioning their own belief systems, which draw them to the creator of the universe. And so for yourselves, if you're asking, where is this line? Where, because this is the conflict. This is the conflict that can cause suffering, that can cause pain for some. And so where do you, where's the line, right? I want you to know the line is scripture. And you guys are asking questions about creation and evolution, death, pain, suffering, conflict, homosexuality. Over the last couple of weeks, we've taken some really big topics. And I want you to know that scripture has an answer. Scripture is the inspired word of God. And that if you're not spending time yourself in this word, then you're going to left, be left wondering. And I don't want you to leave here just waiting for next week for Caleb and I to answer your questions. And while we love doing that, he and I and our team desire for you guys to take this on for yourself. Understand who God is. Understand his love and his character and his design for you. 